Good evening. We are live from the One More Round studio here in Golden Meadow, Louisiana. Casey Justclair here. It is a busy time in southeast Louisiana indeed. It's a little bit of a, a dark day, I guess, in some respects, and that the LSU baseball team that everyone has been paying so much attention to over these last couple of weeks. They were eliminated from the College World Series last night. They were swept 2 nothing by the Florida Gators, or 2 nothing in the series, rather. The decisive game last night was a 6-1 to victory for the Gators. It was a uh, – what's funny, wrote a, wrote a column in Dick Baton Rouge uh, this, this past week, or actually today, where – talking about how it was just a situation where everything that um, could go wrong did go wrong for the Tiger team. They uh, didn't have their pitching aligned the way that they wanted to with Eric Walker getting injured and Alex Lang not being available to later in the series. Um, and, it, you know, last night making some fundamental errors, because you know, errors that resulted in runs, having guys in scoring position just couldn't quite cash in. But I guess uh, the the prevailing theory is is it was pretty much a successful season. I mean, anytime you could be the national runner up out of 300 plus teams, you got to be excited about that. The Tigers have a lot coming back, especially on the mound. They have Caleb Gilbert back, Zach Kaz back, a lot of relief or you know relief pitchers Bush and Beck and all these guys that they have. They're going to be coming back. I think there's going to be a bright future for the LSU baseball team, but. We're going to be talking about that here. We're going to have uh, Richie Mott, our, one of our partners here at One More Round. He's going to be on the line taking a Skype call with us to talk about some LSU baseball. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's really where it stands is the Tigers were uh, locking horns with the Gators, and we're going to go to the phone lines now. I believe we're efforting Richie Mott if he picks up his phone. Let's see. Hello. Hey, Richard. Hey, you there, man? Yeah, this is me. Hey, yeah, this is uh, this is Casey at One More Round Studio. We're uh, welcoming you aboard. You're one of our partners here. Uh, talking some LSU baseball here. We got Mello in the studio, and the the Tigers uh, lost against Florida, and they, you know dropped a two nothing series. It was a disappointing series for LSU in a lot of ways. And just I guess wanted to get your thoughts about the way things played out over in Omaha, man. My opinion, it was pretty uh, it was pretty exciting. I guess at some points, uh, and then also. Uh, that officiating as well yeah yeah and, and, and um here's here's i guess one the 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 thing i'm trying to get uh from you is you know lsu fans they're so emotional they're so passionate they have so much you know pent-up energy in them i'm seeing a lot of things on twitter and social media man they're blaming kramer robinson man they're they're saying that lsu needs to fire pulmonary and they're saying this and that and the other uh, I guess kind of what I'm getting at is is why can't folks just sort of be satisfied? I mean, you were the national runner-up, for goodness sakes. Why can't these fans be happy for at least a second? No, I agree, man. Um, I've, uh, I was fortunate enough to attend uh, over half a dozen games this season at uh, Alex Box and um, got to see these guys play firsthand. Um, midway through the season, man, everybody was just giving up. And they fought through it. I mean, we won the SEC tournament, and they fought through it and did well, man. Uh, a lot of people didn't think they were going to make it as far as they did. Uh, on the Kramer-Robinson thing, though, man, I've been a huge critic of Kramer-Robinson all year long. Yeah. I personally don't like uh, how he tries to destroy the ball and hit a home run every time. Um, I don't think that's what he's there for. I always always thought he should keep the ball on the ground um i just think that's his role 
and leave leave the home runs to the heavy hitters. I mean, he was, you know, he hit a few midway through the season. He he was on a roll, but I mean, you could only, I mean, they were playing, I mean, subpar teams as well. Yeah, and, and look, Mata, I agree with you on that, and I think that's a very fair criticism. I guess you know the the thing that I take issue with is. And, and I'm guilty of this at times, too. But the folks that are that are criticizing the guy because, oh, they show his mom in the stands or, oh, you know, where he's, he's wearing these Jordan cleats or whatever it may be. And I guess my thing is what 21 year old in the world is not going to want, you know, hella fresh cleats on their feet while they're playing in the World Series. So I just think he, some of the criticism maybe is a little bit unwarranted. But on the field, I agree with you. I do think he overswings, and I think he's pressing out there trying to do too much. Yeah, I don't I don't criticize the guy for any off-field off antics. I mean, uh, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, we're all uh, huge backers of Floyd Mayweather. I mean, he has – you know, a lot of antics outside of his sport. So um, I'm not a criticizer of, of any, uh, you know, out-of-sport antics. I always criticize a player or um, a fighter or anybody uh, by what they do on the field or in the ring or, or, or on the court. And, and I guess the, the next topic is shifting a little bit from Kramer and talking more about the LSU pitching staff is I got a question for you. You know, we all are coaches here in this room in some form or fashion. So you got a guy in Zach Hess. He's a freshman. He may be the best closer in the country right now. He is unbelievably good in these short spurts. He could get you three outs, six outs, maybe even nine outs on a given night. He's got a great fastball, a great slider, and he has that aura about him of, hey, it's the end of the game when I come in. I'm the wild thing kind of thing. But there are reports out of Baton Rouge. LSU wants to make this guy a starting pitcher next year. And I got to tell you, I think that's a big mistake. I'm of the belief that if you got something working, stick with it. I would leave him in the closer role. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the question, um, I, I know I, my thing is I also agree with the starter role. Uh, I think he should be in a Jared Poshik type role, uh, be a Saturday guy. Um, because, you know, then you put the pressure on Maneri and, and his staff to, you know, find you some – solid starters i mean you're losing you know arguably the two best lsu baseball players that's ever played sure um uh, in, in poche and lang um and that's that's your defense i mean you need uh you need some guys on the mound and right now you know hess is hess is your best option yeah and i, I hear you man i guess here's here's my my counterpoint or my counter argument to that is LSU pitched or played in the the finals of the College World Series, and their best pitcher didn't play, Alex Lang, because sometimes starters are not available, but a closer is available pretty much every game. And and I guess my my feeling is I I like knowing that Hess can maybe impact thirty or forty games during the season, whereas a starter may have fifteen or twenty. I don't know. I just like knowing as a fan, and 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 look, I know starters are invaluable, but with the way the bats are today, I think it's a little easier to be a starter. You just throw strikes; they're going to get themselves out. I like as a fan knowing, hey, I got the lead in the seventh or the eighth. This game's over. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can't argue that. Um, you definitely need need some solid closers. I mean, LSU showed that that issue, like I, like I mentioned a little while ago midway through the season i mean you couldn't win midweek games um you know they was very inconsistent on midweek starters uh late game closers i mean hessen wasn't a solid closer until 
you know, three quarters through the season. I mean, they, they, Maneri didn't know what he, who he wanted to start. I say start, but who he wanted to close the game. Um, that was Newman's role at the beginning of the season. I mean, obviously has, you know, outperformed him on, on the field, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard decision. I mean, that's definitely something, uh, Maneri and his, and his staff is going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure out after losing two key players on that team. Sure. If they want to make it back to all for sure. Sure. And, and, I guess, uh, you know, kind of put a bow on some LSU-related things. One of the big topics, one of the big controversial issues that everyone sort of was talking about was Monday night, the Tigers opted to throw Russell Reynolds in, in the uh, in the first game against Florida. Jared Poche could have maybe come back and pitched on short rest. They opted not to do that. Um, I wasn't crazy about that move. I thought that it maybe gave Florida a little bit of momentum. They were underdogs in the series. And I think that winning that first game, having that big pitching advantage in the first game, maybe gave them momentum. And I think Mott, it also made LSU tight in game two, where we saw some of the errors and some of the mistakes. I thought maybe they were pressing a little bit. What was your thoughts as they decided to hold the two top pitchers until game two and game three? Um, well, <laughs> the championship reflected that, man. Sure. I mean, uh, Florida, Florida definitely, uh, I mean, you, you heard it on, on, on the TV countless times last night that they put all their chips in um they were in it to win it uh Maneri was in it for the long run um that that's the way I looked at it he was in it just to stretch it out he was hoping to win that second game I didn't with when he announced the pitching staff for the first game I knew he he was counting on his offense and you know there's no offense when you got the one of the best pitchers in the country pitching against your team um, and as inconsistent as the bats have been this year for LSU. Um, now, I think we had all talked about this. Uh, I might have talked about this with Melo. A huge hit for LSU was that injury to Walker. Um, sure. And I think everybody knows that. Um, obviously, Walker would have been one of those starts. And, I mean, I believe it would have been a whole different World Series. We would possibly wa- be watching an LSU game tonight if Walker was in this game. That's a great point, and, I, and I'll do you one better, is that everyone all year long has been complaining, oh, man, Bo Jordan this, Bo Jordan that. If his brother Bryce Jordan would have been in the lineup this year, look, Bryce is a first-team All-SEC guy. Every time where we were, were having these at-bats where it was the eight-hole or nine-hole hitter batting and we were pulling our hair out because we weren't confident the guy would make the hit, if Bryce Jordan's in that lineup, the entire LSU offense looks much different, and they didn't have him all year. Oh, I agree. Um now, you know, if we're going to talk about Bo Jordan, earlier in the season, again, I was a critic for Bo Jordan. Um, I, I I never liked Maneri's decision to keep him in the lineup. I mean, obviously that's why he's coaching LSU and I'm not. <laughs> um, but he's uh, he, he came out strong, man. You know, <laughs> um, but he's a... Uh, he came out strong, man, in Omaha. He he did well. Um, he was very inconsistent in the season, man. He he wasn't great, but uh, he, he made it count when it mattered. Um, it just wasn't enough, man. Now, the, the big play, the big controversial play where there was uh, the interference call and LSU did not score the run and it ended up being a double play and what have you, um, here's the thing. Here's And I, I talked about this on social media. I talked about this on Facebook and on Twitter is – um, I agree. It was it was interference. I mean, the, the the right call was made. 
I just don't understand, uh, buddy, why the, the guy on third had to go back to his base when Florida was conceding that run. I mean, by the time the infraction occurred, the runner had already crossed and had scored. I mean, I'm not asking you to, to rewrite baseball rules, but it just felt like a ridiculous rule to me I, that, that the runner at third had to go back. I agree. Um, <laughs> now, when that happened, I was, uh, I was driving on my way home, um, actually from the studio. Um, and a comment that I hate and that kept getting repeated last night was, it's the right call because that's the way the rule is written. Yeah. Um, I hate that comment. If that's the way the rule is written and everyone disagrees except the rule book, why not vote to change the rule? Um, I mean, yes, it was the right call. You can obviously see it. But to me, that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, the most frustrating call of the night. It was, to me, it was definitely, it was definitely the out at second. Um, was it Josh Smith that tried to steal second? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was definitely the, uh, most frustrating call for me. Um, I mean, to me, the guy got on the bag, he got back on, never touched him, but he was called out. And, and, and that, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up is you, you talk about rules being worded poorly and, and everything like that. Why in the hell, excuse me, why in the hell don't we have replay on every base? Why is it only on plays at home plate? Um, if you're going to have replay and, and college baseball is trying to expand their replay system and hey, bravo, I applaud them on doing that. That's the right thing to do. But why in such a critical spot there was LSU not able to challenge that play? It just looks really, really bad. And, and it, look, it's sour grapes LSU lost, whatever. You know, we're a little grumpy about it. But it's not just, look, LSU won a game because of a bad call. They won a game because of, a, of, of a, you know, a fair ball that was called foul. So by and large, I just think this replay system in college baseball is terrible. The, 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 you could only challenge certain things and other things just have to let pass by if we're going to commit to getting everything right then let's get everything right i i think it's absurd the way those rules are written yeah i agree um but i mean i guess i contradict myself as well in saying that i'm an old school baseball fan um i believe that you know like a lot of baseball fans baseball is probably the most pure sport and i hope it stays that way um you know, you put a replay on a lot of things and, and it changes stuff. But then you get situations like last night, um, you know, or, or a couple situations throughout the series, I mean, where you could bring in a replay and, and, and you know, reverse the call. Um, but then again, it takes away, I guess it takes away some of the excitement of, um, of a baseball game. Uh, they, you want to speed up the game. Uh, I know that's a big conversation. A lot of people talk about it, speeding up a baseball game. Um, and if you, you slow it down with a replay, man, I mean, that's that's going the opposite direction of what the, what the game's trying to do today. Yeah, and I hear you. But but I, I think one way to speed up the game that is, is a little more practical is don't let pitchers throw back to first base a hundred times in an at-bat. I think that's one way that you could speed up the game while also allowing there to be a replay system. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, we could sit here and talk about all the bad calls, um, but there was also also a few coaching uh, coaching mishaps on the on the field uh, sure. from Maneri that sure. I didn't like. Uh, again, the errors stacked up last night. 
Um, you had the, I mean, Zach Watson. The the kid's been coming up strong all year long, making play. I'm not. I don't, I'm not even talking about his bats. I'm talking about his field play. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know you you know what what I'm about to go into is, you know, yeah. I don't remember who hit it, but he hit the ball in the outfield, center field, ground double. You know, hit over the wall. Um, whether the sun was in his eyes or not. I mean, it was probably the right call by him. He couldn't see it, so he just backed off. But, I mean, that's a play that could have been made. He could have stopped it. Um, but I think LSU shot themselves in the foot a couple of times, man. Um, again, with the errors and also the coaching, there was a few um, few decisions that I didn't like. Yeah, and it, it felt like to me um... – like when you play blackjack and you get, you know, a queen and a jack, you got 20. You're feeling really good about your hand. Then the dealer uses about six cards to get a 21. That's what it felt like to me. It was a gut punch the way this team played so well throughout the entire postseason and then really really struggled in the World Series finale. That, that's what it felt like. It was a, it was a little bit of a, of a gut punch. I agree. Yeah, no doubt. So we're talking with Richie Mott. We're going to ask you, Richie, to stay on the line. We're going to uh, take a quick commercial break when we get back. We're going to go to Las Vegas, Nevada, where we're going to have Damian St. Pierre on to join us. We're going to do some NBA free agency talk. I'm happy right now. My Houston Rockets made a big move today. We're going to get how the guys feel about that. We're also going to talk. Drew Brees had some interesting comments today, and I'm going to bounce that off of the guys as well. You're listening to some wonderful sports talk here at One More Round Studio in Golden Meadow. We'll be right back after this. If you're in the market for a screen printed vinyl t-shirt, sports apparel, embroidery, or much more, please visit Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company in Golden Meadow. They have all your clothing needs. Go visit Nick and all the guys out there. They're going to do a wonderful job. Again, that's Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company out in Golden Meadow. They're open five days a week from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Again, that's Down the Bayou Design Studio and Clothing Company. Give them a ring, 985-475-7700. One more round, studio production. And welcome back. We are here at the One More Round studio. Casey Justclair here. We made an effort to get Damien St. Pierre, but he is partying in Vegas, so I don't know that we're going to have him. If he calls or, you know, if he returns call, we'll get him. But we still have Richie Mott on the line. Um, every day in southeast Louisiana is a wonderful day. Obviously, this is uh, the best place in the world to live, in my opinion. But today was an especially great day. 
and I'll tell you why. The uh, news broke early this morning. Actually, it kind of started last night. There were some reports saying that Chris Paul was a heavy favorite to sign with the Houston Rockets in free agency. Well, that story accelerated this morning when word came out from uh, Adrian Wojciechowski at Yahoo. He's going to be an ESPN guy tomorrow. The report was um, Chris Paul was going to be traded to the Houston Rockets. He opted into the final year of his deal and was going to be traded to the Houston Rockets. The Clippers, in return, get Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, Lou Williams, uh, Montres Harrell, and then some fillers as well as a first-round pick. Um, it's well known that I'm a big Houston Rockets fan. I'm a Houston Rocket loyalist, apologist, everything you name it, I am it with the Rockets. I'm wearing a Rockets hat right now. So, Richard Mott, be honest with me, my man. Is this a good move? Is this, is this a bad move? What are your thoughts as you see the trade break? Um, I mean, I think it's a good move, uh, in today's NBA, you can't just compete with, uh, with one, I guess you can say two star players on, um, uh, on Houston's team. Uh, Lou Williams was a big, uh, uplift off the bench, I think. But, um, now you have two big guys, um, they're not big guys, but, uh, big superstars. Um, and if you can get one more piece, man, I think they're, uh, they're going to be a competitor. Uh, for those to be that top three team um, like Golden State and Cleveland, man. You, you touched on something that, that is, is very important there, and that's um, getting a third guy and getting another player into this mix here in Houston. And, you know, we got Melo here working the, the board here and, 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 you know, putting us on and off air. And I know he's a big Carmelo Anthony guy, but – I don't know if it's going to be Carmelo Anthony. I don't know if it's going to be Paul George. I don't know, you know, what the the third guy is going to be. But if you look at the way Houston did this, you know, they didn't sign Chris Paul, which would have forced them to use a lot of cap space. They traded for him, which means that they get bird rights, which I know this is a very technical thing. But by having someone's bird rights, you could re-sign them and go over the salary cap by doing so. So this clears room for them to get a third player. I don't know who it's going to be, but the reason why I like this move, I'm not crazy about the way Chris Paul fits in Houston. I'm really not. But I think that it allows, you could start to see the, the yellow brick road being formed of here's their path to the NBA Finals, here's their path to the Western Conference Finals. I think they're really maneuvering to try to get a third guy. I agree. Um and like you said, I mean, it's the path, but uh, you, like we had touched again, we just need a, they just need to finish it, man. They need to finish that, get that last piece. Um, it just seems like today's formula in today's NBA is to have that big three. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's the beaten, you know, beating a dead horse. You know, you need that, that uh, third, that third player, man. Like you said, whether it be Chris, uh, Chris Paul, whether it be Paul George or, Carmelo Anthony. Um, now, uh, again, like everyone else, I've heard the rumors on Paul George. Um, you know them them obviously going after Paul George pretty hard. Um, and you also mentioned about uh, them not having to give up a lot of monetary value and stuff like that for Chris Paul. Um, if I'm correct, I want to say Harden also gave up some of his contract to get Chris Paul in there. Yeah. Uh, when they gave up, I think he opted in his final year. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he obviously knew he needed another piece. He needed another uh, superstar, and you know, he's seen the writing on the wall, man. Um, 
he's uh, he's definitely definitely looking to build that that championship team in Houston, man. And uh, that's what you need a bunch of guys is going to be on the same page. So so here's the the question that I have, and we're going to play hypothetical now. We're going to make a pretend basketball team. Let's say the Rockets trade Ryan Anderson. And you know some draft picks, or, or Ryan Anderson and a role player or two to Indiana, and they get Paul George. If you have a starting five of Chris Paul, James Harden, Paul George, Clint Capella at center, and whoever else at power forward, is that a team that is capable of beating the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series? All right, let me do you one better. Name me the starting five for Golden State. Steph Curry. Uh, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Zaza Pachulia—the same five as last year. Okay, now that's five names that even every average basketball fan knows. Sure. Uh, so you have James Harden, Chris Paul, Paul George. You don't have two other household names. Yeah, you can compete, but. We just have to be real. They're not going to win, man. I mean, you need you need you need somebody pretty significant. I mean, it's uh it's hard to beat a game, a team like Golden State. Uh, that's, I mean, they just they built that team. They built that team from the draft up. Well, what well, it, it takes it takes a it takes a long time. I mean, in my opinion, uh, and 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 Golden State proved that it took a long time to build that team. Um. And you just can't build that team overnight. I agree. Chris with Paul you. is definitely going to get them there. Chris Paul, James Harden, and if they make that one more, one more superstar trade for Paul George, I'll put them up there with Golden State and Cleveland. Hey. But I, I still can't. I, that still doesn't lean me towards a championship. Here's the thing: is um, I think that we're forgetting Eric Garden in this in this equation. I think Eric Garden in that lineup that we talked about there would give big time problems to the Warriors because I mean here I guess we were talking about this off the air um and and you're right the Warriors are going to be unbelievably difficult for anybody to to beat there's no doubt about that but um if you're Houston and you got this wide open system this is like arcade basketball this is like arena football basketball where you're scoring 130 140 points a game and you got Chris Paul controlling that operation and leading the fast break and, and, and getting distributing the ball like Steve Nash did. Okay, th- those Sun teams, they had uh, Nash, they had Marion, Amare, and they had a bunch of shooters. Well, in Houston right now, they're developing Chris Paul. They've, you know, they've got Harden to play sort of that Marion role of, of scoring a lot and scoring off the ball. Um, Clint Capella, I think, is an underrated player. I'm not saying that they would definitively beat the Warriors, and I know I'm a homer here, man. But I do think that they are they're they would thrust firmly into the the place of they're the only team that I think could challenge them. I don't think Cleveland could challenge them. You know, it was four to one in the finals. It was not all that competitive. Cleveland has to make some some significant moves to challenge Golden State. If Houston makes one more move, I could see a path where they could maybe challenge the Warriors. Oh, oh, definitely. Um, I mean, just with the pieces Houston has now, um, I'm not, I can't say they're better than Cleveland, but in a series, they're better than Cleveland. Sure. Um, I mean, it's, you know, Cleveland, I'm like you, Cleveland definitely needs to make, you know, a couple big moves in the offseason. Um, whether it be Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, 
you know, it, it, it needs to be a big move and they need to move on them fast. I mean, the way other teams are moving now, because um, from what I understand, I believe San Antonio was looking at Chris Paul. Um, and, I mean, Houston just swept them under the rug, you know. Is that good for the NBA? And, and we, we could shift and talk a little bit of Pelicans in a minute, but is that good? Because right now, you know, the, the season starts in October and November. I could tell you right now, either the Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, Celtics, or Cavaliers is going to win the NBA championship. Richie, that that's five teams out of 30. Is that good for the league? It's good for the fans. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's all I can say. Um, good for the big game of basketball. I'm pretty sure Melo is going to agree with me on this. No. Um, I mean... I just I just don't think it's good for the game of basketball because you know you have all these kids and and we all you know we all affiliate ourselves with a lot of uh, youth sports so you have a lot of young kids watching watching this stuff and you know trying to imitate what they see on TV um, so yeah I guess that's my answer it's good for the it's good for the fans it's it's just not not good for the game of basketball yeah there's no doubt and, and, and you know we promised some pelicans here so what do you think they could do in the offseason i know that their first domino is what are they going to do with drew holiday are they going to re-sign him are they not going to re-sign him how do you think that's all going to play out and do you think they have a legitimate chance to thrust themselves in the playoff contention this offseason oh man to be honest i think it's in new orleans's best interest to keep drew holiday yeah. Um, I know yeah. he's, I, I know he's a little bit injury prone lately, but I mean, what other option you have? There, there are none. That's what I'm saying. What other option on the market right now do you see them to do? Um, you need a point guard. <laughs> There's no doubt about that, man. I mean, you could have Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins all you want. If you have nobody to get them the ball, it's, you know, that's, that's, you need a point guard, man. The best option right now on the market is is who you have in your pocket, and that's Drew Holiday. If you're Los Angeles, if you're Miami, if you're New York, if you're Brooklyn, if you're an attraction city, a place where all these NBA guys want to be, then you can maybe say, yeah, we let Drew go. But I don't know that anyone the Pelicans could sign on the open market is going to be better than him. But here's the thing, man, and I agree with you 100%. The best free agent that this team has signed since they have moved to New Orleans is freaking Tyreek Evans. Are you kidding me? So they're not going to get anyone in the open market that's going to be better than Drew Holiday. This is just not a place where free agents want to be. I agree. Um, and to be honest, I mean, anybody that's watched the Pelicans this season, that's not their, uh, i say towards the end of the season, that's not their, uh, their biggest need. Uh, obviously, the biggest need is getting somebody on the outside to shoot the three ball. You need to spread the court, man. That's, that's that's what you need to do, and that's what you need to look for is uh, see if you can pluck you know one or two gems out of, out of the free agent market that can uh, spread the floor. I hear you. We're going to continue this NBA talk throughout the summer. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be a wild off season. But we got about another five or six minutes with you, buddy. And um, there were some interesting comments Drew Brees made talking a little bit of NFL. It's almost football season again. Thank goodness. But Drew Brees had some interesting things to say. He was uh, He's starting up a flag football league, and then when asked why he was starting a flag football league, he said, well, I'm a father. I got you know three, four boys, or however many kids they have now. He said, 
I wouldn't let my kids play tackle football today. So it's too much strain on the body. You know, you get injured, concussions, all that good stuff. Um, I thought it was interesting being a guy that's made so much money playing tackle football. Um, you know, we're all sort of at that age where we have to think about what decisions we would maybe make for our children. So I'm going to ask you straight up. Would you allow your kid, your son, to play tackle football if he wanted to play as, as a child? Um, well, let me start off here. I, I read that story earlier, um, and I believe Drew Brees' exact comments were he was trying to save the game. Um, he also said that he didn't play tackle football until his freshman year in high school. Wow. And, I mean, he, he turned out pretty good. I mean, for not playing tackle football until your freshman year in high school, I'm pretty sure he's doing well. Um, Now, anybody that knows me personally, in reality, obviously, you know my son's not going to play football. I'm not a big guy. (laughs) (laughs) A little troll on myself right there. But, um, you know, that's that's something. um, I think a couple years back I seen a – I guess you could say a uh, like a little bit of research done that they actually put these um, little meters inside of a college football player, high school football player, and a pro football player's helmets to see who hits the, who gets the worst hit. Now, from the outside looking in, you think that it would be you know the stronger, faster guy in the NFL that's going to hit the hardest, get the most pounds per square inch on its hit. Um, but in reality, that wasn't the truth. It was it was the high school players that were getting the most because they're you know in their mind they're you know every high school football player wants to you know be at that next level. Thinks in his mind that he's going to make it at that next level, and that's just not reality. Um, and it trickles down from there, man. I mean, I don't know if you guys watch um, is it uh, little little tykes or something um, on on uh, the USA Network. Um, it's, Isn't it's, that uh, a circus? It's about some Texas, you know, Pee Wee football players, and man, them them kids, them kids go after it. And uh, I watched a few of them, and and there's a few uh, cringeworthy, cringeworthy plays and tackles on there that, you know, it makes you think. You know, would I let my kid? And uh, to answer your question, man, I mean, it's it's hard because uh, all my close friends know that I actually have a son on the way in November, um, and man, I mean, at this point. I'm going to have to say no. And here's the thing. And, and, and it, I, I respect that decision 100%. And, and here's why. is I've watched youth football be played, and um, especially locally. And uh, it's, it's a situation where a lot of times what's best for the child's body, which is not fully developed, is not taken into consideration. You got dads that are giving their son the ball 40 and 50 times a game, letting him take a beating. And here's what people don't realize, and this is a big part of the problem, is in the pros, yeah, man, you got this multi-million dollar state-of-the-art equipment and everybody's protected and, and it's not as dangerous as one would think it would be. But in junior high, in peewee league, in high school, you just kind of got the restants, as we say here in, in, in South Louisiana. You just kind of got the leftover equipment. It's not, you know, unbelievable stuff that they're using to protect their bodies. And your mind's not all the way developed yet. And that just makes me a little bit nervous because I know, you know, I, I'm, I'm 30 now. I remember how my body was when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. I wasn't ready to take a beating like that at that age. 
it worries me anytime that, that that conversation comes up because these bones are not all the way grown yet. These ligaments are not all the way grown yet. And if something happens, man, it could affect the rest of your life, man. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, I mean, you think about it, man. Uh, not only not only the effect on the kids, but I mean, you have you're gonna you think you're gonna start a, a pee wee football league, tackle football league. You have all the costs of equipment, insurances, and stuff like that. Uh, versus starting a non pad, you know, flag football league, where I mean, the equipment cost is little to none. Um, but I mean, that, that doesn't compare to the, the actual medical risk involved in it, uh, for these kids. Uh, I know we deal with a lot of competitive kids on a daily basis. And, you know, if you were to ask them, yeah, would you rather play flag football or tackle football? Obviously any competitive kid is going to say tackle football, but again, just like their bones, I mean, their brains aren't fully developed. I mean, it's, you know, they, they want to win. They want to get to that next level, like I said a little while ago. But, I mean, it's it's just a, it's a hard pill to swallow, man. I mean, um, I believe, was it two years ago, uh, we had a situation at San Lafourche with a kid, sure. man. Um, it's, it's, it's just a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, there's no doubt, and it's a debate that's going to continue to go on, and I think that we're going to see youth football numbers continue to drop. They have dropped significantly in the last 10 or 12 years. But, Mott, I want to thank you, man. It's been a good show. We uh, we had a good time, and we'll do this again real soon, bud. I agree, man. Thank you all. Absolutely. That is Mott, one of our guys here at the One More Round studio. I want to thank Melo for pushing all the buttons, making everything work. Uh, we had a great time today. It's been a good show. Uh, good day for me. I'm talking about the Rockets. Anytime I get a chance to brag about the Rockets, I'm happy about that. Next time, maybe LSU baseball will be a little bit of a, a more positive conversation. But we, look, we're going to have – we may even have Paul Maneri here. We got his number. We could try to you know, maybe give him a buzz and uh, talk about how the Tigers' season went. I have uh, Jared Poche's number. We're going to try to maybe get him on the line over the summer as well. But we're going to sign off. It was a great time. Next time, we're going to have the full band together here in studio. We're still building, so uh, be patient with us. But we're going to sign off here from the One More Round studio in Golden Meadow. Thanks so much for listening. God bless everybody. Take care. One more round, round studio production.